0: It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. This is the hour of doom and bloom. Yes, that bass voice is definitely not Nurse Amy. Nurse Amy is indeed at her mystical warehouse of wonder trying to put together... Kits for people, I'll tell you, the demand has been just incredible, and we've been there at one point or another I, in the day, probably seven days a week for, gosh, probably two months at this point, and we're doing our very best to get all of the kits out in time. I think we've been doing a pretty good job, honestly, but for now, this is going to have to be an old Dr. Bones episode. So without further ado, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Podcast, a paragon of preparedness in a pandemic world. I am indeed Joe Alton, MD, the old Dr. Bones, and I founded Survival Top 50's Reader's Choice website, three years running, doomandbloom.net, your source for both medical education and an entire line of the best medical kits and supplies on the internet. Some of the stuff that you hear on the show is definitely going to be outside the conventional medical wisdom. I don't always agree with all the high mucky mucks in the medical world. So the problem is I do have an active medical license in the state of Florida, so I have to tell you this. All information and opinions voiced on the Survival Medicine Podcast are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings where there is no functioning medical system. We're not at that point yet. We strongly urge our audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. In other words, don't listen to the rantings of some old man drooling on his shoes. That would make you some kind of, well, prepper. And well, if you are, honestly, you have been ahead of everyone else by a mile for a month of Sundays with regards to this particular pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. It continues to rage throughout the known world it has killed well it's closing in on hundred thousand patients and honestly ruined the economies of whole nations including maybe ours there is no proven treatment cure or vaccine a common but deadly problem whenever a new virus emerges but this lack of an option leaves all all these scientists scrambling to find a medicine that works and immediately if not sooner So what we originally took as hopeful news from China now seems to be some kind of cruel hoax. They claim that they have few cases these days, but I've read about ashes of thousands of people being sent to funeral homes in the city of Wuhan, more than what the Chinese claim have died in the entire pandemic. Well, we can only hope that this is is a hoax, that indeed China's numbers are right, but honestly... I have my doubts, so we're going to have to, I think, go through a little more pain than the Chinese authorities claim to be their experience. Well, so of course, the discovery of new preventative and curative treatments, that's always the goal, but the development of a brand new drug because of the FDA's convoluted way of approval takes at least a year or more. In some cases, it takes years and years for something to be approved by the FDA and available to the public. In the meantime, we have all these medical workers watching COVID-19 victims filling their hospitals, and too often they're requiring mechanical support and high technology to just keep people alive. And so we have to figure out something else. It's it's a grim reality and forces scientists to look at maybe current drugs that might have the potential to be effective. And now enter chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, These are old drugs, anti-malarial drugs that were approved for use in 1949, 1955 and they have been used for not only treatment of malaria but also prevention of malaria replacing the older quinine which was made from the bark of the cinchona tree. Of the two drugs, hydroxychloroquine is probably better because it's tolerated and has fewer side effects. Now areas where the chloroquines have been used like South Korea seem to have more of a handle on COVID-19 than the average hot zone. Can you use a drug for, like chloroquine for a reason other than its original purpose, in this case, malaria? And in certain situations, yes, you can. The use of a drug unrelated to its original purpose is called an off-label use. And when I practiced obstetrics many years ago, a certain asthma drug was found to slow down or stop premature labor. We used that medicine successfully To give babies more time to develop in the womb, and we did that many times, and well, you know what they say, necessity is the mother of invention. It was an asthma drug, but it certainly helped us with a lot of patients and getting those babies to, well, at least viability. So the new treatment involving the chloroquines is another such off-label use. In this case, a combination of hydroxychloroquine and the antibiotic azithromycin, often with the addition of zinc supplements, is the actual treatment. It's thought by some to be the best hope, so far at least, in the treatment of COVID-19 patients. And in the hope of slowing spread and decreasing the death rate, the FDA has indeed issued an emergency use authorization, an EUA approval for chloroquines on COVID-19 patients. So, that's something. The decision by the government to try the chloroquins is due to its ability to inhibit a lot of coronaviruses, including SARS, uh, the current uh, SARS, original SARS, I guess it's called SARS-CoV-1. Uh, this virus is, uh, that causes COVID-19 is called SARS-CoV-2, and it works by blocking the virus from entering the cell. Uh, viruses need a host cell to replicate, so this is probably a pretty potent option. Zinc has antiviral action. That's something that's important, and chloroquine seems to help zinc in this regard. It seems to potentiate the effect of the zinc. Azithromycin, well, that's meant to prevent secondary bacterial infections, oftentimes the cause of death from people who are suffering from, let's say, influenza. They wind up getting sicker because a opportunistic bacteria has gotten into their lungs and has caused them to become very, very ill and possibly die. But the key is the chloroquine. Several pharmaceutical companies actually have ramped up production in the face of this new approval, and that is indeed something pretty good. I understand that Sandoz, the company Sandoz, S A N D O Z, actually donated thirty million doses to the Strategic National Stockpile. Now, how did all this come about? How did chloroquine wind up being considered a possible option? Well, the study that first suggested that it was effective was made by a doctor Zelenko in New York, who takes care of a a small population in the New York City area. And he claimed that 669 patients that had COVID-19 were 100% cured of it by using a mixture of five days of hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and megadose zinc. He said that there were no deaths, hospitalizations, or intubations among those given this combination of drugs. It's important to note, though, that Zelenko really has not released any data or given an explanation of the design of his study, other than just orally in some interviews. Uh, he, he has also no analytics that other scientists can really look at and, and analyze, so we are just taking him at his word in a sense. Now, I'm usually pretty skeptical of 100% success studies, and even Zelenko acknowledges that his treatment was new and untested. It's too soon to assess its long-term effects. But he argues that the risk of waiting to verify its effectiveness is greater than the risk of trying the treatment. And at that point, I couldn't agree more. The amount of time it would take to do an official study on this would be too late to save a lot of Americans that are very sick with this disease right now. As a matter of fact, if this is an effective treatment, withholding it is almost a crime against humanity. Now, Dr. Zelenko, he is not the only doctor that has been trying to research the use of chloroquines. Uh, A French scientist named Didier Raoul revealed that almost all of 80 patients that he was treating with a combination of hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, I think he didn't use zinc in this particular study, showed clinical improvement. And that the only exception was an 86-year-old patient who died and a 74-year-old patient who was still... under intensive care at the time of his report. By day eight of the treatment, ninety three percent of the patients showed a negative viral load. That's pretty pretty darn good. The paper noted that the treatment allowed patients to be discharged after an average of about five days. Now now we have another study. Now this study is coming from China, so of course we may have to take it with a grain of salt, but it is a different kind of study. And the difference here compared to the last two that I mentioned is that it's a randomized double-blind study that's more likely to stand up to scientific scrutiny. In this situation, 62 mild-case patients were split into two groups. One, the control group, received just a placebo, a sugar pill, and the other one received the hydroxychloroquine. And all of these people had pneumonia on CAT scan. And that treatment lasted five days, I guess similar to what Dr. Zelenko did. And for those who had cough and fever, this, those symptoms stopped about one day earlier on average if they were given hydroxychloroquine than if they weren't. The pneumonia itself, of course, is that's the most important thing. Have you been able to treat the pneumonia? That improved in 81% of those who took the drug as opposed to about 55% in the control group. Now, there were four patients who did poorly in this study, but all of them were in the control group, received the sugar pill instead of the hydroxychloroquine. That was a small study, but it's part of the mounting evidence that there may be something to the use of chloroquines in treating COVID-19. We need larger studies, of course, and there is one being done in Oxford University that's going to involve 40,000 patients. That's getting underway just now, but these results, of course, are going to take a while to compile. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that other small studies haven't always produced the same positive results. One study of 11 patients showed no beneficial effect from the chloroquines pretty much at all. But that's a really tiny study, 11 patients, when you consider that there are going to be studies with 40,000 patients. The other thing about chloroquines is that they're not without side effects. If you have heart disease, they can make it worse. They can make you have a regular heartbeat or a heartbeat that is too slow or too fast. And headaches and nauseous have been seen in some patients. As a matter of fact, one study in Sweden had to be stopped because a number of patients wound up having blinding headaches, uh, migraine-type headaches. So not everybody's on the chloroquine bandwagon. Uh, as a matter of fact, one person that you all know, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease expert, stated that the reports of hydroxychloroquine preventing COVID-19 were anecdotal that's medical ease for hearsay and that more testing was needed that doesn't mean though that the regimen using chloroquine or some regimen using chloroquine is a phony in drastic times we have to remove the obstacles to any revenue that may possibly have a beneficial effect against COVID-19 chloroquine is just one of them and if it could save even one life it's worth a shot to try it Now remember that using these medications without the close supervision of a medical professional is pretty foolhardy and downright dangerous at worst. There is a functioning, if very busy, medical system out there, so you need to discuss your options with the provider of your choice, do your own research, reach your own conclusions. Everybody wants to know what the dose is for this treatment. Different doses have been put forth, but Dr. Zelenko used 200 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine twice a day for 5 days azithromycin, 500 milligrams once a day for five days, and 220 milligrams of zinc supplement. So this is what happens in pandemic times. You wind up having individual doctors who claim success. They take that information. They try to put it into actual scientific studies and have to make a decision whether they're going to use that treatment in the meantime. We're relying essentially on a series of experiences by doctors and patients that are using these particular drugs like chloroquine, and indeed the hard scientific data may be scarce at the moment. Now that doesn't mean that it isn't so, that chloroquine can't be successful. It could easily be a very good treatment for this problem. So I am glad that they're opening up this option for people. This may also be worthwhile to use for prevention. Some scientists have written that 400 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine taken once a week Well, that's the dose you take for malaria prevention, this may wind up being the dose for prevention of COVID-19. Of course, any drug treatment can have side effects. I would be remiss if I didn't tell you about those. Cardiologists have been warned by colleagues in China to be especially alert for side effects in heart patients. And so, this is something we have to be worried about. There are thousands of people that are now on chloroquine, and we're going to soon learn if it pans out to be a good treatment for COVID-19. Until then, like I often say, do your own research, make your own conclusions, It's FDA approved for now, so call your doctor, have an honest conversation about it. Oh, before I go on, I want to just let everybody know, I've mentioned this on social media, but the podcast I have not yet mentioned it on. We have put out our newest book. Our newest book is called Alton's Pandemic Preparedness Guide, Dealing with Emerging and Current Viral Threats. And it is a, I think a labor of love is certainly something that we've put together in the past, With regards to other epidemics, Ebola, we have our Ebola book. We all have our Zika book. And now we have a general book about pandemic preparedness. We do mention COVID-19 a lot in it. We mention influenza a lot in it. And it certainly has information about viral diseases that you won't find in any of our other books. Uh, Our Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease really talks about bacterial infections, right? Antibiotics kill bacteria, but they don't kill viruses. So we really haven't talked enough about viruses. And so our newest book now on Amazon and at our website, Alton's Pandemic Preparedness Guide, Dealing with Current and Emerging Viral Threats. So get a copy and make an old man very happy. You'll be glad you did. You know, we talk about how to deal with bleeding in the show how to deal with a punctured lung how to deal with a broken bone and we talked uh, lately a lot about pandemics but we haven't talked about some of the more mundane things that could get you in trouble if you don't know how to do these things right and one of these is believe it or not food shopping mundane chores like food shopping can become very exciting and not in a good way if you don't take care of yourself so These are activities that are necessary to keep a family going. How can you avoid getting infected in the midst of a coronavirus pandemic if you go to the grocery store? Well, the virus that causes COVID-19 disease is spread from person to person. This usually occurs due to contamination with virus-laden respiratory droplets when a sick person coughs or sneezes at you. Sometimes, However, it's thought that touching contaminated surfaces and then touching your nose, mouth, or eyes may transmit the disease. This is something that is especially an issue when you're looking for food. By the way, food itself is not considered an issue. COVID-19 is not a foodborne illness. But it can be absorbed, something caused by absorption, by touching a contaminated surface and then touching your face. That's half of the reason why people wear face masks is to prevent them from touching their nose and mouth and face shields especially to prevent them from touching their eyes. There's a lot of opportunity for various methods of transmission when you visit the grocery store. So you got to stay away from people that are obviously sick. That's important of course, but 25 to 50% of COVID-19 positive cases have no symptoms at all. It's possible that certain individuals can pass the disease before they show signs like fever or cough. And others still may carry the disease even for a time after they apparently recovered from the illness, which makes grocery shopping seem like a crapshoot. Wow. L.A. County Public Health Director, as a matter of fact, Dr. Barbara Ferrer, even made the statement that citizens should stay away from grocery shopping for at least a week or two to slow the spread of COVID-19 in Los Angeles. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. Most of the time, stores have taken special precautions to decrease exposure. These include encouraging people to wear face coverings, limiting the number of people in the store at any one time. I remember going to the store early one morning, and they only allowed 25 people in at a time. Disinfecting cart handles after each use. Somebody's holding on to that shopping cart before you used it, and so you definitely need to disinfect that. Placing tape to indicate a proper social distancing, and when I'm at the cashier, I see little yellow tapes on the floor, and that tells me how far away I should stay away from the person in front of me. They make one-way aisles now to decrease people passing each other too closely. I saw that in Walmart, and so if the traffic's going just one way, you're not going to have a lot of people passing each other, and wind up maybe accidentally coughing or sneezing on the other person. They're now encouraging their staff to use hand sanitizer or wash their hands much more often. In one place, Kroger, they're installing plastic shielding between the customers and the cashiers, and they actually are instituting special hours for elderly and other high-risk persons where they are definitely making sure there's not a large crowd. All these measures are very helpful, but you also have to do your part to help decrease your chance of catching COVID-19 or passing it to those people who may be older or have medical issues, people that you love like your mother, your father, your grandparents. So let's start before your shopping trip. We're going to begin before we decide to take this trip. Now the question is, is this trip necessary? What are you missing that you can't live without? A lot of people just go to the supermarket because it's environmental stimulus there. It's interesting. I enjoy going to the supermarket just to look at the food and all that kind of stuff. I'm very easily amused, as you can see. But you really have to ask yourself, is this trip necessary? What are you missing? You can't live without. If you can lower the amount of visits to get groceries, we are dropping the number of possible exposure events, both to yourself and others. Now, if you decide you do have to go, I would say to buy enough for a week or two. Make a list so that you remember every item that you'll need to get by. You might consider finding out if delivery service is available. Many food stores and even restaurants nowadays are encouraging people to buy online and arranging delivery or at least curbside pickup so that they avoid direct handoffs that could spread disease. The highest viral load in the environment is indoors, so the fewer stores you actually enter, well, the better. Let's say you can't get food delivered or curbside pickup. In that case, ask when the slowest times are for that particular store. Less customer traffic means less exposure. And don't forget to wipe down your doorknob and steering wheel with disinfected as you leave and on returning. If you're going inside, it's best for one person to do the shopping. Leave the kids at home if at all possible. Children are just innately curious. They're going to touch all sorts of stuff. And invariably, they're going to stick their fingers in their nose or otherwise touch their face. A lot. A lot. Perhaps most importantly, do not head out to the store if you are sick or if you're the caretaker for someone who's obviously ill with COVID-19. You should ask a family member or friend to go instead and maybe leave the groceries outside your door to pick up when they are finished. During your shopping trip, you've decided you have to go shopping for food today. Well, if that's the case, wash your hands with soap and water before you go and use hand sanitizer often during and after your visit. If there are sanitizing wipes available, take advantage of them. Wipe your cart handle down really well, and if not, consider bringing your own. Now, for many people, food shopping is a sensory experience. It is for me. Is this peach I've got in my hand nice and firm? Is it soft and juicy? Well, how about that one? Maybe that one's better. You tell yourself that the best way to tell is to pick things up and feel them, and this is a habit you're just going to have to break to lower your chances of getting infected. Pick up just what you're going to buy, and use hand sanitizer before and making your selection. By the way, in Europe, you are not really allowed to touch the fruit until you have picked one that you're going to buy. Uh, you can get your hand slapped away from the uh, fruit counter if that's the case. Now, after some hesitation, the CDC finally recommended using face masks or coverings when out in public, and this is more for other people's protection, but everybody benefits. You also should consider using gloves as well there are a lot of disposable gloves i think you can still find some of them under di- in different places i hope that you have put together some medical supplies uh, what i talk about all the time medical preparedness so if you have some nitrile gloves in your medical storage it's time for you to break them out and use them for your grocery store trips as with any public setting you should always maintain a distance of at least six feet from other people that's the amount of space that they think that respiratory droplets travel when you sneeze or cough honestly i think it's much more than that so just stay away from people as much as you possibly can if the aisles have been converted to one-way thoroughfares don't go against traffic look on the floor they'll have arrows pointing in the direction that you should be going be focused on getting the stuff you need head out as soon as you possibly can now some people may decide that frozen foods are better than fresh. There's actually no evidence of present, however, that frozen vegetables are any safer than fresh produce. As a matter of fact, freezing is a method that labs use to preserve viruses. Once you're at the cashier, you should ask them and anybody that might be bagging your groceries to use hand sanitizer before handling your food. i guarantee you you won't be the most popular customer at the store, but that's one or two less people that have handled your food, right? You want to pay with a credit or debit card so to avoid the handoff of dirty money, cash, and receiving change that might be contaminated. If you have to sign something, use your own pen as a stylus. So carry a pen with you and use that as a stylus to sign electronically. Now, after your shopping trip, wash your hands as soon as you get home. And after putting food away, at present the CDC and other health officials don't recommend wiping down food packaging with a disinfectant they believe transmission is mostly person-to-person, not object-to-person. The risk of package contamination, they say, is very low, but not zero. Now, I believe that it wouldn't hurt to at least wipe down some non-porous containers like glass, plastic, or cans with disinfectant wipes and maybe even spray down some of these cardboard packages because SARS-CoV-2 can live on some of these surfaces for up to three days. Cardboard boxes... The virus can live for probably 24 hours or so, so you might consider waiting a day or so to use that item. Many packaged items are cardboard outside and packaged in plastic inside. If you have to use them sooner than 24 hours, you can remove the box, throw it away, and use uh, the original plastic, or put your food items in Tupperware containers. I actually saw a video by a medical doctor, apparently, that suggested leaving groceries in the garage for three days uh, as a good strategy. Now this, to me, presents a food safety problem, at least down here in South Florida. The weather gets warmer, the garage is unlikely to be at the right temperature to prevent the growth of bacteria. Depending on the situation, there also may be more vermin, like rodents and things like that, in your garage than in the rest of your house, I hope at least. Instead, what I want you to do is pick a spot where bag groceries are placed when you come in And another one where you place disinfected or otherwise cleaned items Before you put them in the refrigerator or put them in the pantry You want to give the unpacking spot an extra good cleaning with a disinfectant wipe after you're done with it Now all produce, I think, should be rinsed with water This is a good idea whether there's a pandemic or not do not use soap no need to use soap just water rinse rinse off germs and dirt and pesticides these may reside on the skin of a fruit or vegetable and you want to get rid of them a good rinsing with water flushes them off and down the drain using soap or disinfectants on these well they could cause some gi upset or worse in some cases now if you have reusable laundry bags or grocery bags wash them after your trip to the store Cloth bags go to the laundry and reusable plastic should be washed with soap or other disinfectant and then put away and not used for another three days at least. I will say that it's important to know that COVID-19 is not known to be foodborne. In other words, not caused by eating contaminated food. Apparently your stomach acid will go ahead and kill those organisms. Now, by the way, kill is not the right word. They'll deactivate those organisms because the question is, are these things really alive? The jury is still out on whether these viruses are actually living organisms or something else because they don't reproduce on their own. They need to have a host cell to be able to do that. Now, the influenza virus, many other viruses, are deactivated at temperature ranges from 165 to 212 degrees Fahrenheit. That's a boiling point for water. Since viruses lack many of the basic structures and functions necessary to be considered living, They're deactivated. They don't necessarily die. But since they are deactivated, scientists advise to heat up meat at least to 165 degrees before serving because these bad temperatures will also kill bacteria as well. Viruses, by the way, can withstand freezing temperatures. There are known HIV infection cases in which contaminated frozen human material has been implanted into a patient and infected that person. Food imported from other countries is also considered to be safe to eat. There is no evidence to support transmission of COVID-19 associated with imported goods. No reported cases of COVID-19 associated with food that has been brought in from another country. Now, that doesn't mean it couldn't possibly happen, but at the present time, it's considered to be safe to eat. Let me take just a minute to talk about managing laundry during the ongoing outbreak. The CDC advises that households with confirmed or suspected cases of COVID-19 follow certain instructions when cleaning clothes, linens, towels, and other items that wind up going into wash that may have been used by infected folks. You want to always wear gloves when you're touching a sick person's laundry. Disposable gloves always are useful. Discard them after each use. Reusable gloves should not be used for purposes beyond disinfecting And cleaning surfaces of COVID-19, don't waste them on clothing. You certainly want those to last a good long time. Don't shake out dirty laundry. This reduces the possibility of the virus dispersing through the air. Remember that respiratory droplets are a main way that people wind up getting this uh, infection. Now, you can wash a sick person's laundry with other items, according to the CDC. Now, I personally don't agree with this. I would dedicate a wash to sick people's laundry. I think that is the safest way, but follow the manufacturer's instructions when you're washing your laundry. Use At least use the hottest appropriate water setting for the items if you possibly can. And then make sure that they are dried completely before they're used. You want to keep your hands clean, of course. You want to wash your hands immediately after you take off your gloves. If you're not using gloves when handling the dirty laundry, boy, you better wash them properly afterwards if you expect to stay healthy. Now, you want to keep hampers clean, and you certainly want to put dirty laundry in hampers until you're ready to do the wash. And after putting the laundry away, you want to clean and disinfect those hampers that that were used to store dirty clothing from people that are COVID-infected. So... This is important. You want to consider using, by the way, a disposable bag liner or reusable bag liner that can be washed as you take clothing from the sick room to the laundry room. So, these are issues that people have to think about. Food shopping, laundry, these are mundane things. People are bored to hear about them, but at least now you know the right way to do things. Well, that's all we have for today. I hope that you'll keep tuning in to the Survival Medicine Podcast. We'll get Amy on here next week for sure. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. To contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.